in the election year that we have where we're all dreading it, how does he tap into that dread and provide some elevation from it that still allows us to have an understanding of what we're facing? Great challenge. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, January 26th. Today, I'm joined by former Daily Show staffer, Baratunde Thurston, now my colleague here at Puck, for his thoughts on Jon Stewart's return to the throne and whether satire still works in the era of Donald Trump. Baratunde also discusses the conservative war on DEI and why the pendulum on diversity, equity, and inclusion has swung so wildly since 2020. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Baritone Thurston. We're going to talk about the war on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion that feels inescapable in our news cycles right now, perhaps thanks to Fox News or Ron DeSantis or Bill Ackman or whoever. Baritone, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hello, Peter Hamby. I am good. It's good <laughs> to be back in your capable hands. It, this is the first time I've talked to you in the new year. Um, that's great right. to it's have you. First conversation on the record in 2024. That's correct. So I have an off-topic question unrelated to DEI, but I feel like it is so relevant to you. Dylan and I on yesterday's podcast went back and forth on Jon Stewart's return to The Daily Show. Uh, you have not only worked at The Daily Show um, when Trevor was there, but also the thing I'm more interested in perhaps is you worked, you've worked in humor uh, and you worked for The Onion kind of in the heyday of Jon Stewart. And one of my sources of skepticism uh, about this whole return to the throne that Jon Stewart's doing is it just feels like not only has our politics changed, satire has changed, media has changed, and I'm curious, you know, you were at The Onion, you know, in New York, in like comedy and, and writing and politics circles in, in the sort of Obama years. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any macro thoughts on whether Jon Stewart can recapture the magic or has the discourse just changed uh, in a way that, that'll make it hard to do it again? That's incredible. And I say this as someone who would love to be invited on The Daily Show, so cards on table. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but holy shit, the king is back. Okay. I think, look, there's a part of me that is really excited about this because Stuart has evolved even more into a blend of like still funny, deeply caring, highly invested like citizen, you know, the, his congressional mm -hmm. testimonies, care for veterans, the way he, what he was pulling off with the problem with Jon Stewart. And it was, it's just way past wisecracking jokes, which is where he started with The Daily Show. And, and that show actually made him into a more of a serious political thinker that, that the rest of us came to trust so much for our interpretation of the day's events. So the former Daily Show viewer, the former Daily Show employee, in me is super happy. And when I say former, I mean viewer of, of the era, 
that really made that show a part of my, my daily habits. Mm -hmm. So, and then the media thinking person in me is like, okay, but it can't be what it was because we don't live in that world anymore. And part of the existential challenge of something like the daily show that I was so excited to be a small part of in the beginning with Trevor and to see him keep trying to innovate around is what are we satirizing here? You know, you brought up the onion been on my mind a lot lately. The onion had a very clear media format that it was satirizing initially like print newspapers. And then the onion news empire grew to do podcasts and the onion news network video and the click hole was born out of the onion. Mm -hmm. So there's, the object of satire was so clear and the common reference that we all in society had for it made it a stronger play. You know, jokes work when you get them, you get them when you understand the underlying reference, especially satire. We have to know the original format to really understand what you're satirizing. Mm. Cable news is dead <laughs> as far as being the prime interface through which Americans understand what's happening in their world today. And The Daily Show was built to satirize that. And it still maintains it with the desk and the correspondent and the over-the-shoulder review of the top news stories. And But the underlying truth that you're satirizing, like no one engages, relatively speaking, people don't. So mm. I want to see him figure that out and the team around him. Does he cling to that old model of the desk and the anchor and, and that, that old school notion of delivering the news? Or does he lean more into the more emergent format of some straight to camera things, some social media thing? What it will be the object of satire? And will they just abandon that idea and just let him run? <laughs> because outside of all that media theorizing I just did, there's a human there who has earned a lot of trust. And he is returning to a platform that is very familiar and in need of an infusion of inspiration and attention and, and creative energy in the post Trevor, like who's going to run this thing moment. So he maybe could just show up and just start talking mm -hmm. and people would watch it. And that would be a major format break and, and something different to look at. So I don't expect him. I really hope he doesn't just do what he did before now with more gray hair. That wouldn't be super interesting, but in the election year that we have, where we're all dreading it, how does he tap into that dread and provide some elevation from it that still allows us to have an understanding of what we're facing? Great challenge. That echoes in a more articulate way, sort of what I was arguing to Dylan. I mean, I, I took the bear case, he took the bull case. And <laughs> mine is that cable news is no longer at, you know, at the center of you know, the conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it's adjacent, if that, to how we spend our time and the formats have changed and the news and, and punditry percolates in much different ways. So I'm interested to see how he tackles that. But I'm also interested in how he tackles Donald Trump. I mean, you talked yeah. about joining up with Trevor and I just, I was literally uh, rereading or re-skimming The Daily Show oral history uh, before Dylan's podcast. And they talk about in the later era of The Daily Show, like Ferguson happened, there were school shootings. Mm -hmm. There were just these, and we'll talk more about the quote unquote reckoning around race uh, in a minute, but it wasn't just about politics and politicians and what's happening on Capitol Hill in the end. Um, and so, you know, the conversation today is very much driven by identity and race and partisanship. So there's that. And also like, how do you, I, I'm interested to see how he tackles Donald Trump. 
Not yeah. that you're going to give him any advice here on how to do that, but he had Donald Trump in, in his sights toward the very end there. But you know, how do you how do you do satire with Donald Trump? Because I haven't seen good satire with Donald Trump. I mean, Alec Baldwin does a Trump impression. Uh, Stephen Colbert does a Trump impression, but that's not satire. No, and it's he's so he is a hard, slippery target. <laughs> yeah. So the best Donald Trump satire I ever saw, best impression I ever saw was Tony Atamanik. And he used to do this thing with James Adomian where Tony played Trump and James played Bernie. And part of what Tony did so well, even better than the current SNL version, which is really good, is he he really became Trump and then he pushed it and like just opened the window into the dark heart. And the, the impression started funny and ended scary. And each of his performances was a warning. And I, and I think it taxed him psychologically to, to channel that level of despotism and mm. negativity, but you couldn't just laugh him off. And, and a lot of what the media did with Trump the first time around didn't go far enough in just revealing him. And so they, they kind of rode him for attention, they monetized him, they poked light fun and allowed us to not take him seriously. Tony somehow managed to mock him and you left an experience of his impression with the need to take the man more seriously. Hmm. And, and what we're having right now in the, in the Trump moment is people still aren't taking this dude seriously. Like he's told us exactly who he is and what he wants to do and who he wants to do it to. And his would-be opponents, you know, still won't oppose him, right? They're formally contesting him and it's kid gloves. Uh, so what John Stewart does in this case to... Uh, not make the man more accessible by making him the object of a joke that's palatable, but reveal, remind, uh, that will be really, really, really interesting to watch. And it'll be very interesting to watch how many people watch <laughs> um, that too. In, in terms of the, the viewership and Comedy Central and that whole you know media thing that Puck spends a lot of time covering and making sense of. Can you infuse new life into this uh, old format? And can an old dog who's coming back as a new dog learn and deploy new tricks in an old dog house? Mm. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. I think it's, a lot it's of a great, comedy, it'll be a great case study. A great case study. I agree. I, I'm I'm excited and fascinated by it. Yeah, and I think you're right. A lot of the comedy around Trump is this like cartoonified simulacrum of Donald Trump, like people doing their best Trump voice and their Trump like body language, but it doesn't cut to anything deeper it just makes us laugh and feel okay about ourselves and be like oh my god that guy's crazy without confronting him and what he means and then i should also say and i said this yesterday with dylan and i believe you had a role in this so i'm giving you props but <laughs> as much as eyeballs were moving away from cable when trevor noah came in the daily show did a very very good job better than a lot of media properties in distributing that content across different screens on yeah. YouTube, on Snapchat, et cetera. So different people would be able to see it. People who didn't have cable, people who weren't sitting down appointment viewing style to watch it. So uh, if you had a hand in that, bravo, because I think they were sort of ahead of the curve on that. I did have a hand in that. That was my literal initial mandate. Good job. And you know, the department that I built there to do that still exists. So even though I'm not mm -hmm. there anymore, some of that infrastructure carried on and, and good people kept it going. Um, and, and Stuart inherits that because it wasn't there when he left. He mm -hmm. didn't need to build that. 
he was John Stewart on cable news, on, on cable, on, on basic cable, as he always liked to joke about himself in a self-deprecating fashion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what he does with that much broader platform than Apple TV Plus, you know, that's, that's the other, like the infrastructure. I mean, he did a good amount of digital stuff there too, but this is just a different beast. Man, look at Writing. us, content creators. <laughs> look at us, just creating content. I can't um, be worried about his content creation. I'm trying to create my own content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Baritone, when we come back, I want to ask you about the war on DEI. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to The Powers That Be, everybody. I'm joined today by Baratunde Thurston, and we're talking about the right-wing war on DEI and what it means for campuses, for corporations, for culture at large. Uh, Baratunde, I'm going to read you two quotes. Okay. Both of them are from Jamie Dimon, the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. This is Jamie Dimon in the year of our Lord, 2020. Quote, Systemic racism is a tragic part of America's history. We can do more and do better to break down systems that have propagated racism and widespread economic inequality, especially for black and Latinx people. It's long past time that society addresses racial inequities in a more tangible, meaningful way. That was 2020. Here's another quote from Jamie Dimon this week at a conference at the World Economic Forum. Quote, I'm going to start by telling you that I'm a full-throated, red-blooded, patriotic, unwoke, capitalist CEO. I'm not woke anything. And he went on to attack the, quote, ridiculous ESG DEI groups coming at us. Those are not mutually exclusive comments in certain ways, but tonally could not be more different. What changed in, in this case, the business world? Yeah. where a CEO felt compelled to commit billions of dollars to fighting systemic racism and commenting publicly about it to today, where it just feels like DEI is a punching bag for some of these corporate leaders. And look, he's not 
necessarily representative of the mainstream of the business community, but it feels like he is jumping on board a bandwagon here where uh, DEI is just a punching bag for a lot of people. What do you think about that? Jamie Dimon. He sounds like someone, maybe as a person or representative of an institution, that is not anchored in much that's very deep. So four years ago, he can sound and use the language and, and spirit of being a great ally and a fighter for justice, and, and today can brag about being unwoke. Like he's a proud, sleeping American running around with his eyes closed. And, and such a such a dramatic swing only feels possible if you're not really grounded in something beyond the present moment and beyond what's trending. So in 2020, it was literally trending. Like anti-racism was trending. And it was a wave and a lot of people got on it with no training, with no deep commitments, with just a desire to keep their heads above water and look like they were doing something good. And occasionally they did something good <laughs> because there was public pressure, peer pressure, and, and a pop culture that prevailed. And today the waters have shifted. And so his boat's over doing some totally different things, riding a very different wave. Red-blooded, patriotic, chest. He's, he sounds cartoonish. And to be proudly unwoke <laughs> is such an, an unnecessary experience expansive like interpretation of the moment. You can have criticisms of what's going on with DEI. There are valid ones. You can moderate your tone to fit into the political reality so you don't invite scorn, ridicule, boycott, and congressional investigations and defenestration. Ding, ding, ding. What do I get for that? <laughs> but I'm just, I'm struck by the great distance between those two statements. And that's not every leader. That's not every institution. And mm -hmm. while we were chatting, I looked up, okay, well, what is, what is JP Morgan's like mission statement? What do they say they stand for? We want to be the best financial services company in the world. That's not very deep. <laughs> <laughs> so of course their, their message will shallowly flow where the water is moving at any given time. And I'm not trying to offer this as like harsh personal criticism. I don't know this man well. I may have met him once. I can't say I did or didn't, but it's not really about that. I think the moment that we're in is is a real opportunity and a real test. And and we're in like the the backdraft of of some some flames that kicked off really hard in 2020 that invited a lot of people in who weren't serious. And and, and many of those people are running out, you know, with with the wave because they're like, I don't, I don't have anything to stand on. I don't have anything to, to kind of anchor me. So they just sounded very unanchored. Uh, that's my long reflection on the two sides of Jamie Dimon, the, uh, the eyes wide open and the eyes wide shut. Just looking at this, all of this from a larger scope, and this might require yeah. you very briefly sort of explaining the roots of where diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives came from and when they started to puncture the corporate world and, and universities, et cetera. But like what what changed? Why? Why? Yeah. Are, why? Like at what point? It feels like at some point in like 2022, 2023, you just started mm -hmm. hearing more criticism of DEI and ESG on the right to the point where it became like a central plank of Ron DeSantis's failed yeah. presidential campaign. I, I So many things happened. And I'll try to be brief, which is not always my strong suit when I'm hanging with you. But 
the attack on DEI, the seeming retreat, is only remarkable or is made more remarkable by the dramatic advance. And so 2020, I just returned to that after the summer of 2020 and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and so many others, so, so many others, companies had to say something. And many of them thought they had to do something. And, and so they entered this universe of promises and declarations and pledges, and they wanted to look good. And many of them wanted to be good and do good. And a lot of them invited advisors in to help them be diverse and be equitable and be inclusive and have belonging. And not all of that was good, right? Some of that stuff was shallow. Some of it was checkboxy. Some of it was non-customized, off-the-shelf, one-time exercises that you could say, I was brought in as a part of this wave. Come hire this charismatic black guy to talk to us about how to not be racist for 45 minutes. And then if they did nothing else, it's not going to stick. Like, I, I can't promise to change our culture in 45 minutes. I can inspire you in 45 minutes. And then it should hand you off to a practitioner to really implement some things with you that will last. And so much of the work that happened after that wasn't sustainable. And uh, I spoke with someone today who I'll, who I'll end up uh, quoting in my piece, Adriel Parker, um, mm. who has been practicing in this space for many, many years. And she's just like, you know, the... So many people focus exclusively on race and ethnicity as a definition of diversity, had shallow check boxes in terms of what they would implement and didn't anchor it in company values. And, and so it wouldn't sustain. And then the backlash comes because we have short attention spans in America and it's like, okay, okay, so we're racist. Cool, cool. I accept that for like 20 months. And now there's gotta be something else. I feel like we must have fixed the racism thing by now, right? So can we move on? And then you have a Republican party that's been Trumpified to the max and is looking for the next cultural wedge issue to like bludgeon us with and cannot forget the Supreme Court of the United States kills affirmative action in higher education. Mm -hmm. And that is just like rallies the troops even more. Oh, we got it. We landed one. We landed one. And then most re recently with challenges of anti-Semitism on college campuses, with the challenge testimony of three university professors, with the forced outing of two of them, especially Claudine Gay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just about the handling of anti-Semitism. It was like the inference, not even the inference, the direct claim that she was only the president of Harvard because she was black and that she was otherwise wildly unqualified. And you got Bill Ackman and Elon Musk all charging in, emboldened, and that, that emboldenment is in the context of a Trump who's emboldened, you know, even after double impeachment and insurrection and losing in 2020. So that paints the stew and the picture, some failures of programs which weren't sustainable and, and a culture that shifts due to American short attention spans and, and a larger funded orchestrated attack to, to weaponize this as a boogeyman and to rally votes and, and money and message around undoing something that largely is acknowledged as a good thing, right? Diverse workplaces, uh, diverse enterprises, diverse, like when you really measure wide ranging definitions of diversity and people feeling like they belong, these companies outperform, these stock prices aim higher. So the, the premise of it, even from a business case perspective is really strong. 
the execution's uneven, and the exploitation of it is highly focused right now. DEI, DOA, question mark? I know you have a lot more to say on this. I have many more questions, but we're out of time. But everyone should go check out Baratunde's email and his piece on Puck this weekend for more on this subject. Thank you for joining, my friend. This was a roller coaster of an episode. I hope you have a great weekend. Same to you, Peter. Same to you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.